Hi guys, welcome to Belief Alchemy with Megan O'Neill. Every week I'll be sitting down to interview visionary women who will teach us how to have a more magical mindset and to create greater possibility in our lives and in our business. So welcome, welcome, Barbara. Before we got on this podcast, I was telling her that I am the ultimate fangirl because I have um, enjoyed your book so much, but I better just tell the listeners of this podcast, this is the famous, and especially in my world, the famous Barbara, formerly Stanny, now Houston. So that's new though. The Houston is new that you took on, you took the name recently. Did you not? Because I got all I this. Did. Yeah, I did a couple of years ago, actually. But yeah. So you are many, many things, but I think I, I know you the best from being the author of seven best-selling books. I think that you were on number seven with the one that I'm going to talk to you about, or one of the ones I'm going to talk to you about today, which is Rewire for Wealth. But you were not always an author. Um, you started that a little bit later. I think you were a journalist beforehand. But I just want to go back, Barbara, to your early life, which is how you often start out your books is by telling your background. Can I ask you a little bit about that to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's a great story. It's a great story. Um, I never want to have to go through that again, but I'm actually glad it happened. So I was raised in a wealthy family. My father was the R of H&R Block. And he, he absolutely firmly believed women do not man make or manage money. It's a man's job. And that was great. I didn't care. I didn't understand money. I just wanted to manage it. And there was always a man. I mean, I just wanted to spend it. <laughs> and there was always a man to manage it. First, there was my father. And then there was my husband, who was a stockbroker. And then he went to work at Block. So he was perfect. But I found out really early in my marriage that he was a compulsive gambler. And the insane part, the really insane part, is that for the 15 years we were married, I knew he was gambling the money away and I continued to let him manage it because that's how terrified I was by anything financial. Finally, after our divorce, I decided money is not my thing. I do not want to deal with money. Well, <laughs> as some of you, some people listening may know, if you don't deal with your money, your money will deal with you. And I got tax bills for way over a million dollars. 1,800 something. I don't know. It was way over, far more than I had. I didn't have anywhere close to a million. My ex had left the country and my father wouldn't lend me the money. And I had three young daughters. I was not going to raise those girls on the street. I knew I had to get smart. So I did what you're supposed to do. I read the books, I went to classes, and my eyes would glaze over, my brain would fog up, and I just figure I'm terminally stupid. Well, I knew I had to do something and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was desperate, but I was committed. And I really believe when you are committed, like no back door, down to your toes commitment, the universe revolves to help you reach your goal. And I was a journalist writing for the San Francisco Business Times and I was hired for a freelance project to interview women who were smart with money. And those interviews changed my life. I not only got smart about money, 
that was over 26 years ago. I not only got smart about money, but that's when I wrote my first book, Prince Charming Isn't Coming, How Women Get Smart About Money. And suddenly I had this whole new career. I was traveling all over the country doing financial education for women, but I couldn't make money. I couldn't make money. So I interviewed women who made lots of money. And I started making six figures, three or four times what I ever made. Started making six figures before I even finished writing that book, Over Secrets of Six-Figure Women. And then I wanted to teach, see if I could teach others what I learned. And I wrote my next book, Overcoming Under Earning. And now, seven books later, here I am talking to you, Megan, as an expert. I mean, who knew? Well, I mean, it is a fascinating story. And it really, I think it spoke to me, Barbara, because my mom has a somewhat similar background to you. And she grew up with her parents having been successful. And she married a lawyer like you did. And she signed everything that was put in front of her. And when you sign everything and you don't feel empowered and you don't think she'd always say, well, he's very, you know, he's really bright. He's really smart. And she was well-educated. I mean, but she gave her authority to my dad and he, like your husband, um, had a different kind of gambling, but lost the, you know, lost the base of our, fi our financial base. And so um, your story really spoke to me in, in many ways. I think that it was, it resonated with what I had seen grown up. Um, my mom was older than you, but you might've been in somewhat in the similar generation of what you learned growing up about relationships. And it took my mom a long time to, to, to get away and to leave her, her marriage because the belief was, is that marriage was for life. So when I think about you going to the bank machine, there's one scene in the book or the, that you've written about many times where you go to the bank machine and there's no money and you, you're working full time. I mean, you have a career, you're successful and there's no money. And that was it. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I, I went. I went to the ATM, I put in my card, and it said, sorry, no money. Well, it doesn't say sorry, no money. It says insufficient funds. I put it in, put it in, put it in, and I went home, and I said to my husband, what the hell? And he just talked circles around me. That's what he would do. He would talk circles, and I'd go into this self-doubt, and I didn't do anything about it. I, and I stayed, not because of the sanctity of marriage. I stayed because I was terrified of being alone. I never, I thought, I honestly thought I couldn't make it on my own. You know what is interesting though that I've thought about is your dad is H&R Block. So I always sort of think about you sitting, sitting around the kitchen table and I always think that you must have had some, some education around money. Did you pick it up or was it just that your dad never spoke about financial matters? Never, never, <sighs> never. You, you just didn't talk about money. Mm -hmm. You just didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he didn't talk about it to my mother. I remember he got very, very ill. And right before he died, I went to my mother. And then this is, I had written several books by then and I felt confident. And I went to my mother and I said, do you know what dad has planned for you after he passes? She goes, oh yeah, everything's fine. And I said, well, tell me. And she said, oh, no, don't even worry. Everything's fine. And I said, no, that's not going to work, Mom. That's not going to work. And I took my mom into the study where my dad was. And I sat them down. I was so nervous. When I get nervous, I scratch my wrist. And my wrist was bleeding. <laughs> I was so nervous. 
And I said, Dad, talk to Mom about what you have planned for her. He had nothing planned. Almost all his money was going to charity. My mom freaked out. He had no, and he did everything himself. There was no lawyer. There was no tax person. There was no accountant, nothing. And so we got busy. I got busy. And I found, first I found my mom an estate lawyer. Then we found her a CPA. And then we found her a financial advisor. So by the time my dad died, everything was in order. And all she had to do was grieve. Wonderful. Those kind of conversations are scary to have because you really don't. Well, I mean, your career now and, you know, from reading your books, I can tell that your mission, your, your, your calling is to, to empower women around with financial knowledge. Yes. It's really not about the finance. This is the work I do is so interesting. You, do you know what I'm going to say? No, I want you to say, <laughs> okay. What women don't, what I realized really, really early is that women's difficulties with money has nothing to do with money per se. It has to do with their ambivalence about or their fear of their power. Because it's not about the money. It's who you have to become to attract, to sustain, to grow your wealth. You have to become a powerful woman instead of watering yourself down so you don't make waves. And my definition of a powerful woman is someone who knows who she is, knows what she wants and expresses that in the world unapologetically. And so really what I do is I empower women to own their greatness and to do what they're here to do in this world and be richly rewarded. I think what struck me when I read your books, and I think the first book, and I got the doozy, I got like a real doozy when I is sacred success. No, nobody can choose. I'm just showing this to you. But, and, you know, this was the first time that I had read a book um, that dealt with the emotional aspect of money, with the mental part of money. I think that many women who are not confident, and I would categorize myself as that, although you have helped me to become way more confident feel empowered but i think that many of the women that i have worked with and, and you know that i work with women on mindset and they come to me initially saying you know i've got real money mindset uh, uh blocks and and of course this spills into their business because most of the women i work with are entrepreneurs and they have to invest in building their business i mean just hiring someone to do a website right it, it requires often that you have to hire someone and i think that women will talk to me about not wanting to become a leader that if their business flourishes, they don't want to necessarily become a leader, which is all around empowerment. And yes, you did. I did actually put this in this. I highlighted this quote of yours around empowerment. And I was going to ask you, so you're ahead of me, because, you know, you talked also not only about the emotional aspect of, of, of money and of wealth, but you also talked about the spiritual aspect of it. And I had Never. I mean, I had heard, and, and I want to just tell anybody, I will be listing all these books on, um, they're, they're, I will recommend them all. And I think you should start from the beginning to the newest one, which is a rewire for wealth. But I, with the first one that I 
ever read with sacred success. And in sacred success, you talk about this journey with your husband and you talk about um, have, being pushed dramatically into a new life as a single mother with a tax bill of a million dollars. And I think about the scene <laughs> where you're lying on the shag rug and, and I'm thinking, okay, well, this must have been in the 70s or the early 80s because it's a shag rug. Yeah. And you're lying there thinking, how in the hell am I ever going to pay a million dollars to the IRS? And my dad's not going to help me. And you felt so alone and you wondered where you, why had God abandoned you? Can you tell me about how you, how you dealt with that? I was in the bottom of the bottom. We'd moved to San Francisco. I, I, uh, I was really depressed. And I felt trapped. I didn't know how I could get out. And, and I remember standing in the grocery store. And I prayed. I prayed all the time. Help me. You know, please help me. Help me find a way. And I was standing in the grocery store. And behind me, the person behind the person behind me was talking about A Course in Miracles. And I don't know, it caught my ear. And I leaned back and I said, what's A Course in Miracles? And they said, I'm not really sure, but it's a book. And it's published right here in Tiburon, where I had moved to, which is outside San Francisco. And she told me where to get it. Because right then it was self-published. And I went immediately to the house where it was published, which was right near where I lived, which was so bizarre. I bought, it was three books at the time. And I started reading A Course in Miracles. It was in 1982. And I have been studying it ever since. And The Course of Miracles is a spiritual text that basically the message is you can find peace and be happy no matter what's going on if you learn how to control your mind. Because what's out there is just simply a reflection of what's in here. And so I really learned, I really, I've, I've followed the course to this day, and there's a part of the course called the workbook, which has a lesson or it's like an affirmation for every day of the year. And so I went through those and I still do. Every day, my husband and I still do, we take the lesson of the day and we read it and we meditate on it. And those lessons were like affirmations that shifted my perspective. And according to A Course in Miracles, a miracle is simply a shift in perception. When you can see something differently, when you can see something through the eyes of love instead of through the eyes of fear, that's how you create a miracle. I think what I really admired reading Sacred Success was your ability to trust the universe, to oh. trust it, it's that was my perception when you said it, yeah you, it took it, a long time I just okay to, I'm good to hear that 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 um it took a long time I went through a lot of shit I had I had a lot of therapy but there was something when I found the course I was ready I was ready I knew that this was I, I knew there was a greater I, I I knew there was something greater than me and if I could tap into that greater intelligence, 
I'd be okay. And I absolutely loved when you wrote, as you were, you know, you had, you were feeling pretty burnt out. You were taking a rest, an R&R &R at the spa, and you were feeling a bit lost, I think, for the next, the next step to take in your career. And then you talk about divine downloads. So this was my fifth, sixth book. That was the sixth book. So I'd written a number of books beforehand. And I'd written, and I'd written six, and I'd made six figures. And it was right after Overcoming Under Earning. Yes, it was right after I wrote Overcoming Under Earning, and it was really selling well. And I was doing really well financially, making six high six figures. And one night, I woke up, like sat up straight. And I had this voice, like in my head, that says, make millions, help millions, give millions. And I thought, that's my next goal. I'm going to make millions, help millions, give millions. And I knew exactly how I was going to do it. I'd interview women who made millions, and then that would be my next book. Well, three years later, after probably a hundred, more than a hundred interviews, great interviews, I had, I was probably, this was in the year 2009. I was having the worst financial year I've ever had. I was totally lost. Uh, I just didn't know where to turn. And I felt like a hypocrite. Here I was helping other women financially. And, and I was going down the loser too. And so that's when I, I had a coach. And, I, and she said, Barbara, you're so into doing. You need time for just being. So that's when I went away. There was a little hotel that had a spa, two hours drive for me. And I took all my transcripts of my interviews. And when I got in this place of peace and relaxation, and I read those interviews, I saw something completely different. I saw it wasn't that these women were making these outrageous sums and I was blown away and I wanted to do the same. I saw they were playing a game very different than what the world men were modeling. And this is what I called sacred success. Yeah, because I think one of the themes in, in the, you know, the last couple of books has been the inner and the outer work. I mean, you, you do teach financial, uh, you say self-efficacy. Can you explain well, I, that? I, well, let me just back up a little. For me, financial success is a four-pronged process. It's a combination of the outer work, the inner work, the higher work, and the deeper work of wealth. And the outer work is, you know, the practical stuff, knowing the difference between the stock and the bond, knowing how to negotiate, stuff like that. But when you get stuck, as many of us have, when you get stuck on the outer work, then you get to go to the inner work of wealth, really examining, exploring your attitudes, beliefs, and early decisions you've made about yourself and money. But then there's another component that I found, especially for women, and that's what I call the higher work of wealth or the spiritual, because I believe we are all on this planet for a purpose. And it may be a big purpose, like some type of global initiative, or it could be something so small, like to spread joy or, or be happy. But we're all here for a purpose, and we can't possibly pursue our purpose if we're struggling making ends meet. And so what, what really motivates women once we are 
financially secure. Once we have food on the table, a roof over our head, it's not more money. It's how can we use our skills and our finances to help others. Yeah, and there is statistics to back that up. I remember reading um, uh, The Millionaire Woman Next Door by Stanley. Do you remember this book, The Millionaire mm-hmm. Next Door? And it was, but it was just women. And he talked about these women living in quite simple circumstances. They often just lived in their original houses, but their main desire was philanthropic to serve in some ways and use their mother, their money in some ways to serve. And that's what I hear when I'm asking my clients, what do they ultimately want? And it's always about helping their family first. And then of course they have these visions of what they want to do once they have attained to that level of income. Mm-hmm. But I wanna go to, um, I wanna go to your newest book because this, I mean, I could spend all day talking about every book, but we got to get to this new book because it's fantastic. And um, as you know, I, I work in the area of rewiring the mind as well. I specifically work in the area of beliefs. And of course, you are talking about beliefs um, all through this, but you've become very passionate about neuroplasticity. And you have written a book that is, I, I really want to encourage people to read this book to understand the mind um, more thoroughly, because that's what I did as I read this. I, you know, I've been working with the mind for a long time, but I had a different understanding of it. So I want you to talk to me about this newest book and, and talk to me about why did you go down this route now of neuroplasticity and talking about rewiring the brain, the mind? So uh, a couple of years after Sacred Success came out, and I was doing really well. I mean, my business was flourishing. I was flourishing. Everything was great. And I was happy. And then something very weird happened. I started losing interest in my work. I think this was about 2017. I started losing interest in my work. I didn't want to do it. Uh, and one day I remember saying to, I, had, I had a, was working with a coach, and I remember saying, I want to take a sledgehammer to my business and just shatter it to smithereens. I was done. And this was very weird because this was more, this is more than a job. It's like my ministry. It's my mission. It's why I'm here. And so I just kind of went into surrender mode. I just stepped back. I cleared my plate. I felt like the universe was telling me something. I had no idea what it was, but it felt like something was missing. I didn't feel like I was done with work but I felt like something was missing, but I had no clue what it was. And so I just say, okay, show me. And I'm on my email one day, I'm going through my email, and there is an article in my inbox on neuroscience. I knew nothing about neuroscience other than it's a study of the brain. I read this article and I swear to God, my brain must have lit up like a Christmas tree and I knew this was the missing piece. So I spent several, three, four years, really studying neuroscience and starting to integrate it in my work. And I saw that when you understand how the mind and the brain work together, I could expedite, significantly expedite women's learning curve, significantly, quickly get them past their resistance. And so that's what got me excited. And that's, so I started giving, I I did a rewire retreat. Then I started giving 
Rewire Mentorship Programs, which I'm starting uh, 2022 with Rewire Mentorship Program. And I'm starting with a free challenge. I have a free Rewire Challenge, which I'm really excited about. Uh, anyway, so it's just, I, I was amazed at the results. I was made not what was happening to my clients, but me. How, when I was applying this to my life, how things got so much easier. Thanks for listening to another episode of Belief Alchemy with Megan O'Neill. I had so much to talk about with Barbara Stanny that I decided that I was going to just put this into two episodes so that you could hear everything and not all at once because we just have so many goodies to speak about. So next week, I will be coming out with the second part of my interview with Barbara Stanny. And before you go, I just want to tell you about a fantastic micro course, a free one that I offer to anyone who wants to go to meganoneal.ca because I'm in Canada slash courses. It's called the Confidence Lab, Own Your Entrepreneurial Expertise. And I created this micro course because I know that there's so many busy women who are ambitious who want to go to the top of their field. They understand underneath all of the mind trash that there is tremendous potential, but they get caught in their own way. They, they play it small instead of going big and bold. So in this course, I will teach you to understand where you are getting in your way and offer some tools and guidance so that you can be all that you want and reach those income goals. It's what we all want. So go to meganoneal.ca courses. Mm-hmm.